0: Okay, well this morning we've got a court case and that's going to be the theme. I'm not going to ask if any of you have been to court uh, or if any of you um, have had to stay in the witness stand, but I I think all of you have watched enough TV to know what it looks like and this morning we're in a courtroom drama and uh, I'm going to try being John's shoes. John is the kind of the advocate in the courtroom in this case. And then he's going to have three witnesses on stand. Uh, and he's going to go to those. And then he's going to show us uh, a great testimony or tell us of a great testimony. And then at the end, he's going to uh, give his last words, his final statements to the jury. And we're going to make a conclusion, decide something about that. So even though I prayed a whole bunch right now about our hearts and, and that actually this morning is, is almost if I, I don't really pray so that people can watch and listen, I pray so that we might respond, and uh, sorry, I don't really preach, so that people might watch and listen, but this morning, if I've ever preached a sermon to kind of sit in a courtroom, this would be it. Uh, let's just hear, because at the end, you've got to decide. Uh, you're kind of, the, you're the jury, and the final statements go your way, Right? So let me read the text, and then we'll get there. It's 1 John 5, verse 6. It's a very small book, so if you haven't been able to find it yet, don't worry. It takes forever. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Take a moment and with the person that you're comfortable with next to you, uh, hopefully there's someone, ask them this question. It's a yes or no question. Uh, and ask this question do you know that you have eternal life every every week every single week or sorry not every single week a lot of weeks there's people who visit the church who are not christians they're curious about jesus or curious about spirituality they're on a spiritual journey a life journey and uh, if you're one of those people and you're not so sure that, what you, that you even know what the question means, that's totally fine. Yes isn't the only correct answer. But I want to show you a way so that everyone in this room has the ability to say yes at the end of today. All right. So John wrote this, que- this, this letter because he wanted Christians to know the answer to that question. He wanted every single one of them to not um and ah, but say yes, absolutely, Amen. Um, and we're going to look at that a little bit now. In the Jewish legal system, uh, a charge had to come, if, if you brought a charge against someone, it had to come with two or three witnesses. So you can imagine John, who's grown up in this cultural system, uh, is using it as a metaphor to say, you know, if, you, if, if two or three witnesses make for a case, I'll give you two or three witnesses that make for our case to help you understand it to uh, keep it solid and so he's presenting this within a cultural understanding it's in other words it's it's um evidence that's hard to ignore uh it's evidence that's meant to prove finally uh the case um and so uh before we get into it i want you just to think about it a little bit these three witnesses and that's what these three chairs are and don't worry i'm not going to ask anyone to come and sit here because no one's been prepped with what to say um but we're going to get to them in a minute but i just want to give you an opportunity to think when we count, when we read the bible and we, and we listen to other commentators what can happen accidentally and this is just a side note for a moment opportunity to think what can happen accidentally is that you have a favorite preacher or a favorite commentator or a favorite theologian that teaches you about what the scripture means and it's kind of like your go-to person to understand the bible the problem with that is not that they're often wrong, but it's the problem is that you become a disciple of them rather than a disciple of Jesus. And if they are to get something wrong, you'll go along with them, right? Because you're their disciple. But Scripture says that we're not supposed to be of Paul or Peter, we're supposed to be of Jesus. In other words, you know, John Piper's great, Tim Keller's great, uh, changed my life. Michael Eaton's great, and we can keep, J.R. Packer's great, we can keep naming wonderful people, but we're not supposed to be disciples of any of them, we're just supposed to be disciples of Jesus. And when you come to this text as an example, I just want to show you how some great theologians go very different ways, and if we're their disciples, we get lost. Uh, Martin Luther, when he read this, and he thought about um, the blood and the, the, what is it, the water and the blood, Um, Martin Luther understood them to both, uh, point to baptism. Uh, that, that that's what they were about. And he, he went down that road. Then Ke- John Kelvin believed that they... they uh, he, John was talking about the uh, the sacramental law that the water was the ritual cleansing. Remember Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding? Do you know what, do you know what that water was? Why did they just have jars of water? It was jars for cleansing. Jesus, Jesus turned the shower water into the finest wine. Uh, so they have this ritual water that... Uh, that Calvin believed that was the water, that Jesus cleanses us with the water. And then the blood, Calvin believed, was the uh, sacrificial lamb uh, representative of that. So to him, it was the Old Testament sacrificial uh, picture. And then Augustine came along and he believed that uh, it it represented the spear. Remember when Jesus was speared on on the cross, what happened? Blood and water came out to prove that he was dead. And so here you have three wonderful, godly uh, thinkers, minds that have shaped our faith wonderfully. They've helped us understand Scripture and uh, uh, be, uh, the Reformation. Uh, through, through Martin Luther and that. But on this one, they, you see the three different rabbit trails. And not that any of them lead in a dangerous way, but all I'm trying to say is that's what can happen when you're a disciple of someone. We've always got to come back and be a disciple of Jesus. What do we understand? And, and humbly walk with, with all these voices. Whenever I'm studying a scripture, I get out as many comment, commentaries as, as I can. I know a lot of preachers get as, as few commentaries as they can so they can keep it purely their own thoughts. I get all of them that I can find. Uh, maybe I just need more help than everyone. And I sit down, I imagine in a room, most of them are dead. So I imagine that all these super old, old people are in my room and they each take a turn to tell me about the text. And, uh, J.R. Packer takes a turn and, and Piper and Keller, not that they, they mostly, uh, uh, Pastors, not theologians, but just using familiar names, and they walk around the room. Uh, I, I go, your turn, your turn, your turn, and they teach me, and I'm the student, and I learn. But they don't always say the same thing. And at the end of the day, go say thank you very much, but come back to the text and say, God, what is true of your word? What are you saying? What's consistent? Uh, and and how are you speaking to us? Does that make sense? If you're saying something that no one else is saying, you're probably wrong. Um, <laughs> And so that's an offshoot. Let's come back to the text. All, all these views, I use this one, <laughs> and it's going to sound arrogant, uh, but all these views are actually quite unlikely, the, one, the ones I just told you about. Um, not to suggest that now the view I'm going to is, is, the, is, is the, you've got to weigh it up yourself. Don't be a disciple of whatever I'm saying. But this is more likely what John's... We're not going to get into the technical reasons, but this is more likely what John is teaching. John says that it's he who came... When he's talking about that, he's talking about he who came as the Savior of the world. How did Jesus come as the Savior of the world? What were the signs that he was the the Savior? What was the activity that saved? Uh, That's what John's thinking and has in mind. And so the first witness, John tells us, is the water. Um, Jesus was always fully God and fully man. Uh, But through his baptism, God spoke over him. Remember when he was baptized? Uh, John sees Jesus and says, Behold the one that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus comes and gets, ba- gets baptized. As Jesus gets baptized, the Father speaks from, him, from heaven. What does He say? This is my Son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And John sees the Spirit descending on him like a dove. There's this affirmation that Jesus is the Savior of the world at the waters of his baptism. He didn't change in his being. He was the Son of God before that. He remained the Son of God after that, but he was also the Son of Mary. He was also fully man, fully God, fully man. And it's important uh, here because some teach that uh, some of those who were, who were coming against the church were teaching that. No, in that moment, what happened was Je- Jesus, the man, the human, uh, God came on him and, and made him sufficient to be the spokesman, to be the, the walking Messiah on earth. But then at the crucifixion, he, the, the God-man left. And so the human died on the cross, but not God. Not God. God that, that didn't happen to God. But you see, if you, if you do that, we don't have atonement. We, we don't have a, a pure and holy one sacrificing for our sins. Um, and so we've, we've, uh, we can't go down that road. And so God speaks at His water. He, he gets spoken of sonship and obedience and empowerment through the Holy Spirit that John witnessed. And this is what the water testifies to. So The first witness that we have testifies the water gets up, the waters of baptism get up, and and the waters of baptism say he is the Son of God, he is the obedient Son of God, he is the obedient Son of God who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to take away the sins of the world. That's water's water's testimony to who he is. Then the second witness gets up, uh, uh, and it's the blood. And this speaks of Jesus' crucifixion. Earlier John already said in Uh, chapter 2 verse 2 he says he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins Jesus himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins in chapter 4 verse 10 he says he has sent his son as the sacrifice for our sins through the blood of Jesus, Jesus became the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He died in our place. He paid for our sins in our place. We're in a, in a courtroom. We're the guilty ones. He's the innocent one. The innocent one takes the place of the guilty one, takes on the punishment so that the, uh, the guilty ones might walk free. Where is righteousness? And so blood stands up and says, not only is, is, the, is he the obedient son of God who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to take away the sins of the world, But he died upon the cross as the sacrificial lamb. A proper death, not a fake death. Some religions believe that Jesus didn't die in the last moments. They, They stole his body away and he recovered. And that's who they saw walking around. Others that were teaching against the Christians here, we don't know much about them. We just know that some of the others came in, as I said, and were saying, no, no, in that moment, just a man died, God left, went back to heaven. But the blood stands up and says, No, He died as a sacrifice for our sins. He was the sacrificial lamb. And so the second witness says, He is the Son of God, the obedient Son of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who faced a real death. You can't have a Savior without a real death. You can't have atonement without a real death. Then the third witness gets up, and it's the Holy Spirit. And John changes the tense, if you go read it. It's the water and the blood. They passed historical, significant events. John is saying that these are things that happened in history. He's not making them up. They're not a myth. They are recorded in history. They're events that happened. But then he switches to the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And he changes his tense to the present tense. It's no longer past tense. Not only did the Holy Spirit witness to him, the Holy Spirit is witnessing to him. That's a change of tense. That's quite wonderful. That's quite dramatic, and that's quite vulnerable, because John is saying, if he's saying it's present tense, then he's saying that the Holy Spirit is able to witness to him right now and tomorrow. It means that Christianity is not just blind faith in two historical events. Christianity is a third witness, a a present tense witness from God himself to our hearts. That's different. It It may not be any easier to explain to anyone, you may not sound any less insane. Uh, Nas had to take a class. I won't say too much. I don't know where these recordings go. But needless to say, one of the classes she took, if she had said something like, Yeah, I was speaking to God, or God spoke to me, or God, there would have been serious questions about her sanity. It's, not a, it's funny, but it's real. So how does the the Holy Spirit witness to Jesus? Let me tell you, first of all, in His empowering Jesus at baptism, Jesus hasn't empowered anyone else. I mean, sorry, the Holy Spirit hasn't empowered anyone else. The first way that the the Holy Spirit witnessed to Jesus is that He empowered Jesus to be the Savior of the world. The second way probably is is in Him raising Jesus from, from the dead. The third way is that He glorifies Jesus today. And in past events, in Acts 10, uh, Peter preaches. And it's, you should go listen to that sermon or go read that sermon it's a, it's a, and go see. Do this. It's a, it will help you. Pin, pick the points that Peter makes about Jesus. I'll tell you what they are, but go see for yourself because it's amazing. Because the Holy Spirit will um, witness to certain preaching and the Holy Spirit will not witness to other preaching. In other words, the Holy Spirit will witness when Jesus is really lifted up. The Holy Spirit will come upon that and say, Amen. Yes, that's right. And you go look in Acts 10, what happened. Hearts were opened up. Uh, people got saved r- radically. But go look at the contents of his preaching. And this is some of it. Peter preached Jesus was the Lord of all. In that sermon, Peter preached Jesus was also human. The God-man. Fully God, fully man. In that sermon, Peter preached about Jesus' empowerment when he was baptized, and he preached about Jesus' death on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit came upon all those who were listening, and they believed. In other words, nothing would have happened at the end of Peter's sermon if the Holy Spirit didn't jump up and go, that's the gospel. They listened and believed. Now, I don't know that there has to be a wind movement in a room when the holy spirit <laughs> opens people's hearts but i'm just i think you understand what I, i'm suggesting today the holy spirit testifies to truth through the scriptures that's one of the great reasons we read the bible because as we read the holy spirit testifies to us what is true about god when you're reading the newspaper there's a very small chance the holy spirit will witness with the uh, journey, the articles when you read social media Uh, 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 I quit Instagram this week and now I can't remember what they're called, posts. (laughs) There's very little chance that the Holy Spirit's going to witness with you, that your heart's going to jump within your soul. But when we read the Scriptures and we're learning about God, it's not to say that always reading the Bible is fun and it's it's like a roller coaster full of excitement. Sometimes it's just tough. Sometimes it's a grind. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes the Holy Spirit illuminates something to our hearts and there's a leap. He witnesses with our hearts. In the Bible, uh, it says in John 15, John writes, he records what Jesus says, I will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who comes from the Father, and he will testify about me, and you must also testify about me. Isn't that wonderfully practical? Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to send the advocate. The Holy Spirit's going to testify about me. He's going to witness about me. But you must also witness about me. And why was he saying that? I'll tell you why. Because they had walked with Jesus from the beginning. They had seen everything. They could stand up kind of as a fourth witness. They're not not really, you know, but they're just guys. So they're not really here because they don't match up to these other three. But they stand up and they also witness and they say, these are the things that are true. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said. This is what we saw with our own eyes. This is what we heard with our own ears. This is... But Jesus, so Jesus says, but the Holy Spirit will be the one who witnesses and bears testimony of me. How does he testify? There's two ways. The number one, I've told you about external outpourings. He, confirm, he confirms the message that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus takes away the sins of the world. You and I are here because there's been an external confirmation, some, some sort of external, external outpouring somewhere, sometime where Jesus confirmed it, whether it was from Acts 2, where three or 4,000 people got saved, and then every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, this external outpouring, something was happening, Acts 10, and then history is uh, full of these stories where something just happens and there's an external outpouring, then, you know, Jesus is lifted up, uh, people come to Him, and the kingdom of God is, is forcefully advances and multiplies. But it's not only that way. That wouldn't be enough in one sense. It wouldn't touch you deeply. There's plenty of events going on right now. How many of them are touching you deeply? Maybe, maybe, maybe the footy finals in a couple of weeks will touch you deeply. It shouldn't, but it could. If the Eagles are playing, maybe. Maybe a birth of a child, an external event that touches you deeply. Maybe falling in love. For the first time, an external event touches you deeply. Maybe high school ending or starting. External event touches you deeply. Maybe getting your first job. Maybe graduating uni. But they don't... External events are great, but they don't touch you massively deeply. Am I right? But the Holy Spirit doesn't just uh, witness through external events. He also witnesses through internal confirmation. He helps us see, first of all, our need for a Savior. And secondly, that we have one in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not so harsh as to show us our need for Jesus and then not tell us the second half of the gospel. The good news of Jesus. No, it's just, you know, it's just bad news. You need a Savior. Hope you find one. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit... Uh, at this at one and it's hard to tell your testimony because you might not tell it in that chronological order Uh, some of you some of you will I, i became aware that i was in need of salvation and then i became aware of my savior others of you will just be say i just became aware of my savior it was just good and then in hindsight i realized i was in big need of him but the holy spirit brings an internal conviction of who jesus is and he can to all of us so these three witnesses testify, uh, and they all agree. That's what, that's what John says. They all three agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who took on human flesh, who lived obediently to the Father, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit, who died a substitutionary death, and was raised to life with eternity in His hands. And I want to repeat words of an, a famous old preacher. I don't know if he was a famous preacher, but his sermon became famous, and he said this. That's my Jesus. I wonder, do you know Him? Let me remind you who He is. Jesus, is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who took on human flesh, lived obediently to the Father, was empowered by the Holy Spirit, died a substitutionary death, and was raised to life with eternity in His hands. That's my Jesus. I wonder, do you know Him? Now, part two. John moves on, verse 9. And he gives us a great testimony. And John says, if you listen to the testimony of man, if you receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. This is something good. John is, John is uh, saying we should receive the testimony of men, but it's not, always, it's not always equal to all testimonies. You know, some guys came in the church and testified some hogwash. Then you've got John and the apostles who are saying something again, it's kind of like a fourth testimony of Jesus, and they must testify. Jesus said, Testify to who I am, share it, tell it. With others. And he's saying, if you receive the testimony of men, and you should. We walked with him. We knew him. Then the testimony of God is greater. (sighs) Have you ever struggled to know if you could believe something someone said? Without wanting to be um, doubting. Without wanting to think lowly of them. Without wanting to dismiss that they're telling you the truth. Have you ever struggled? Like, I know what they said, but I, I just i just don't know this just doesn't seem right with what i observed there's a greatness in the testimony of god which never leaves any doubt the greatness of god's testimony how is it greater it's greater in its absolute quality god cannot lie God can only tell truth and then he can't only tell some truth and leave out other truth. God can only tell the truth. Now, if you've been raised in a secular Western culture like Perth and, and uh, you, you're not a Christian, you may uh, firmly believe that uh, truth is relative and, and you may believe that to your core, the core of your heart that truth is relative. And if that's the case, then God cannot exist. You cannot have a sovereign God and relative truth if there is a sovereign god then there is a sovereign truth his truth and so to live in a relativistic a truly relativistic world is to live in a world completely without god not a gnostic world where god is somewhere there but uninvolved he cannot be he cannot be a sovereign god with no truth but to live in in a world with no god no meaning no purpose what a scary place to live. What a dark place to live. What a hard place to live. To have to go find your meaning and purpose. And it might sound like an adventure. I don't know if any of you, I don't, I don't know if this would. maybe it would just make you think I'm weird. But hopefully some of you can connect to this. I remember once when I was 16, I almost got into a fight. My first fight. I said something really foolish. And the guy picked a fight with me. And I didn't want to fight him. And then my friend was next to me, and he kept trying to get me into the fight. <laughs> <laughs> he kept talking on my behalf. Anyway, I, I, I managed to get home without getting into a fight. Do you know all I wanted? I was 16 years old. Do you know all I wanted? I hope you could guess. Otherwise, I'm going to sound. All I wanted was for my mom to hold me. I just wanted to feel safe. And she did. I don't know if any of you lead, have led something. Maybe you own a business. Uh, maybe you've just left home and, and you're leading your life for the first time. You've got to pick where to live or what job to take or um, what to study. But any of you who've led for a while, do you ever, you, you ever feel that leadership fatigue where you go, I just wish there was someone who could decide for me. I just wish I could get up one morning and someone could just tell me what to do. A world without God might be fun for a day. But eventually we wake up going, I wish there was someone who knew what life was about. I wish there was someone who loved me. I wish there was someone who knew me. I wish there was someone I could turn to that every time I spoke to them, they would be able to say, I understand. I wish there was someone that could hold me. I wish there was someone that had a purpose and a plan for me. I wish there was someone that could help me figure out what to do. I wish there was someone to say it's okay when I'm suffering. And the Christian message says there is a sovereign loving God who knows you by name and has worked in history to call you home and to adopt you into his family. And John John wants to give you God's great testimony. And God's testimony is totally true. You don't have to wonder about it. There's no tricks. God's not hunting for the will of the people. He's tricky like that. Remember that movie? Jesus hiding behind the door. Vegetables. (laughs) God's not tricky like that. God has made it as obvious as He possibly can. He's not asking for your hand and taking your arm. He's asking for all of you. He's saving all of you. He's putting it all out there. God's testimony is totally vital. God can press upon your hearts and we can know that it's true. God can convict us. God can place the truth upon our hearts so that we know that we know that He has saved us. That may be the trickiest thing you ever try and explain. I have Christian friends, and because of the things that they believe about God's salvation, which I struggle with, they, they don't know that they know that they're saved. And If I said to them, do you know that God has saved you? Their answer will be, I know today, but I'm not sure if tomorrow I'll prove that I, I never actually knew God. And to me, there's this innate fear, the self-reliance of what if I let myself down and prove that I was never a Christian? I think John comes to us and speaks to us and says, God's testimony is greater, God's conviction is greater, and through His Spirit, He can convict your heart. He can let you know that you know that you know that you are His child. Can you imagine being adopted into a family? And some some of you in this church have been adopted. My nephew's been adopted. Can you imagine if their whole life they spent going, Oh, well, today I feel part of the the family, but I'm not sure if tomorrow they'll just kick me out and then prove that I never really was adopted. That's no way to live. That's not love. That's not even family. That's cruel. That's evil. How could God do that? He wouldn't. He doesn't. But He adopts us, He calls us His children, and through His Spirit He bears witness with our spirit that we are His. And He doesn't just show the witness through external things, but He goes into our hearts and confirms that we are His. And if He doesn't confirm, He will convict you and call you to Himself. Not push you away and say, Not too quick, everyone who's mind step forward. Mark, not so fast. Won't do that. But He might convict you that you are not his, that you've not laid down your life to him, that you've not put your faith in Jesus and call you to himself to adopt you into his family. Here's the closing statement of John. And then we're going to take communion. John says, The Christian is not walking on a tightrope or guessing in the fog. The Christian is standing on the only solid ground, the only sure foundation, the unshakable rock, Jesus Christ. The Christian is able to walk with confidence. The Christian is able to walk with assurance because they know the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is living and acting on their behalf even now. When we believe God's testimony, it's great because the Holy Spirit seals it upon our hearts. That's that's what I say is going to be the most difficult thing maybe in your life when someone says, well, how do you know? How do you know? I just know. Well, tell me what you believe again. Well, I'm going to tell you what I believe again because it's important for you to know. This is what God has done. This is what God has done through Jesus. But how do you know that you are saved? When you stumble and fall and grace picks you up, how do you know that you are saved? When you are running in all goodness How do you know that you are saved? When you forget about God, how do you know that you are saved? When you remember Him every morning before you do anything else, how do you know that you are saved? Well, well, the external witness. Truth tells me. The historical facts and what the Holy Spirit has sealed in Scripture. But how do you know? Because He's written it on my heart. I am His and He is mine. No one can take that away. It's difficult, right? It's not convincing. So if you don't believe someone, what do you you believe they are? A A liar. Right? Thank you. And so John says that. That's the final testimony. Here's a testimony that God has given concerning His Son, and if you don't believe Him, you're saying that He's a liar. God cannot be... Uh, in between. He's either telling us the truth or he's lying to us. A decision must be made. To not believe God's testimony of Jesus is to say that God is a lie, And anyone who thinks that God is a lie is standing against God, standing against God's truth. It's a courageous place to stand. It's maybe a foolish place to stand. You can delete one word from that sentence. It's not maybe. It is a foolish place to stand. God has given His testimony, and this is His testimony concerning Jesus. God gave us eternal life, John says, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has Jesus has life. That's what I want to say to my Christian friends that say, maybe tomorrow I'll prove not to be a Christian. I want to pause and say, hold on a second. Do you have the Son? Yeah, I do. Then my Bible says you have life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Sometimes a court case is helpful because it helps us simplify and cut to the truth. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It comes down to that. Whose testimony will you believe? That's the trial. That's the case. That's the final statement. He who has life, he who has the Son has life. He who does not, does not have life. Whose testimony will you believe? It's not my testimony. It's I haven't spent the week at home thinking about how can I bring you to a final question. We're just reading John's words out loud. It's, it's the testimony of Scripture. And so the question to, to us and if you are a Christian, then hopefully the question brings you a great assurance. Hopefully the Holy Spirit can seal it upon your heart. Our hearts can be fickle. The Holy Spirit's not. Hopefully He can tattoo something upon your heart which is sealed, solid, there. And if you're not a Christian, hopefully you hear the invitation of the Sovereign Almighty loving God uh, inviting you to step with Him, to walk with Him, to believe in His Son. Whose testimony will you believe? So we're gonna, I'm going to ask you this question one more time. But this time, just, I just want you to th- answer it to yourself. Do you know that you have eternal life? In Deuteronomy 3 verse 19, it says this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, what does God say? Choose life. The good Father, the almighty God, comes and lays the truth about His Son before all of us. And He says, here's the seriousness of it. Life or death, blessing or curse. You must decide. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to choose life now it's in your hands as we come this morning to commune i wonder if a couple guys can just bring it down for us if you